That's actually not transition music. That's a part of the sermon. Just kind of. You guys recognize this? Some of you listened to this the last month and a half or so. What's this from? Charlie Brown Christmas, Peanuts, yes. All right, I think we're good with that. Um, yeah, I'm not a huge jazz fan. I enjoy jazz from time to time, a little bit uh, live. But that is the jazz album that I listen to every Christmas because uh, I love that music. In fact, um, the... Uh, the main uh, creative artist behind that was Vince, I think you say his name, Giraldi. And he led, most of those songs was this jazz trio. And um, he passed away early a number of years ago. But there's so much creativity, there's so much mastery, there's so much flow that it's become part of our culture, hasn't it? We, we recognize it. It's on the radio. Uh, I put it on Pandora because it, it's just, it, it flows so well. You know, most of the songs have three instruments. The primary one by uh, Giraldi is the jazz piano he's playing there. And then you've got uh, the bass, I think oftentimes an upright bass. And then you've got drums, percussion. Just three instruments, and yet these masterful songs that, that we recognize and we see. Last week, we began a series that we're calling Sacred Rhythms. And I felt like it's some profound ideas that the Lord is giving us that could even be revolutionary in our spiritual lives going into this new year. This idea that God has created us not to live haphazard lives. He's created us not to, to be reactionary and simply just take life as it comes, but in fact, he's knit us together in such a way that he wants us to live what we're calling the sacred rhythms of life, that he wants to teach us these, and we talked about three values, three sacred rhythms that I believe were, were put in us from, you can see it in the story of Genesis, very creation, that he put these values in us, these things that he wants to be hallmarks of our lives, that, that to infuse our lives, every one of us, and we see Jesus living those sacred rhythms out in this beautiful balance. Do any of you remember what the ABCs, those three sacred rhythms were? Logan, you can't let me down here, brother. Do you? Oh, you weren't here last week. All right, you missed it, Logan. I thought for sure you'd get it. First, ABCs. A is Abiding in the Lord, we see Jesus, there's a regular rhythm of he's connecting. I don't think this is in your bulletin. You might want to, if you weren't here last week, you could write these down. Abiding in the Lord, we see him connecting with the Father, both privately as well as in community. We see this healthy rhythm. That was part of the rhythm of his life. You could call this the jazz piano of Jesus' life. He was connecting with the Father, and we see on a regular basis him praying, him getting off into quiet places, 
and then also as a, a, a first century Jew, Jew and rabbi, every Sabbath, every Saturday, connecting in worship with people. It's the A. The B was this balance of work and rest. His work first was carpentry, and then he would rest on the Sabbath. Then his work became full-time ministry. But again, modeling us, we see Jesus back and forth. He's working, he's producing, he's serving, uh, filling the kingdom in such a way, advancing the kingdom, and yet pulling away for times of rest and renewal. He didn't look very much like a 21st century Christian in the, in the United States that many of us have a good work ethic, sometimes bordering on, bordering on workaholism, correct? He not only had a work ethic, but he had a rest ethic. He recognized that the Father doesn't call us to work in such a way that we're toiling and we're spent and we have no resources for anything else in this world. No, 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 that's not the only rhythm in our life. Work is not the only thing that should determine how we live our lives. We see Jesus working and resting. We'll talk more about that next week. And then, saw especially last week, the sea Connection in community. We saw Jesus not simply living this life by himself. We saw him connecting with his apostles, those who were following God, those who were hungry for God. He was connecting on a regular basis. He was discipling, he was leading, he was worshiping with. And yet we saw last week that Jesus intentionally had a rhythm of connecting with people that were far from God that were struggling, oftentimes the least of these, that he built into his life an intentionality to love those who are far from God. I was thinking as I was praying through that, I thought of Peanuts, Vince Giraldi, and this jazz trio. And I said, often, I thought oftentimes if you use that analogy, I don't know if it would work for you. Again, it's not, but I do have visuals up here, right? You've got the bass, <laughs> you've got the drums, and you've got the piano, right? And so we see Jesus. Jesus wasn't masterful at one of those hallmarks, those aspects of life, was he? He was masterful at all three. The Father had taught him, right, discipled him by the Spirit to, to play in all three, abiding with the Father, um, balance of work and rest, and connecting in community and those who are far. Jesus lived those out all through his life, ministry, all through the Gospels. You can recognize that. What would it look like? If we said in 2019, we wanted to allow the Spirit to disciple us in those three aspects of life. Would that be amazing? Would that be revolutionary to be able to say, yeah, I was living 
in the rhythms, these sacred rhythms. I saw these sacred rhythms in Jesus and he's teaching me to live these same sacred rhythms. They're gonna look a little bit different because I live in the 21st century as opposed to the first century and yet they're, saying, they're, they're true for all of us. He's knit us together as human beings to value relationship with him, relationship with others, and stewardship and work and rest. This morning I want to focus in on the jazz piano. I am going to talk a little bit about abiding in the Father and what would it look like if we were to grow and learn the, the piano if Vince Giraldi was still around, said, can you give us a primary lesson, like 101 on jazz piano? I wonder what he would say. I have no idea what he would say. I don't play the piano. I wish I did. Maybe someday in retirement, I'll pick it up. All right. Um, but what would he say? If we were to say, Jesus, all right, rhythm of prayer and worship, what would be... 101 for us. I think I, I know what Jesus would say. Let's look at what he says. Matthew chapter 6. This is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous teaching. And, and Jesus hits many, many important subjects. One of the subjects that Jesus seems to return to again and again, like this was a really important one, was prayer. How to pray. What, what, prayer, what biblical prayer, believing prayer looks like. How he wants us to grow us. And remember, this is Sermon on the Mount. So this is, in fact, kind of 101, like the, the most important thing that we can know about prayer Jesus shares in this moment. We're going to start at Matthew 6, verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into the room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Some manuscripts then add, 
For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus, interesting, he turns before he gets to the 101, he says, listen, I want to share a little bit of ways of what not to do. What don't do this. Did you know, unfortunately, as something as beautiful as prayer, we can do some bad things, right? We can have some, what you could call prayer misses. Jesus said there are some ways that you can do a prayer miss. And in fact, he doesn't speak to uh, non-believers right away. He speaks first and foremost to committed believers. And essentially what he says is, you can pray with wrong motives. There's a reward. There is this beautiful benefit of prayer and worship and living into rhythms of prayer and worship. But you can pray with wrong motives. In fact, the, the religious leaders of Jesus' time, he's, he's probably exaggerating just a little bit, using hyperbole, but there was great benefit in their time and culture. If they were the religious leaders and they led the services and they prayed out loud, boy, they got some accolades and love and support and blessings. So guys like me has to be careful that I'm praying with good motives. I think we can fall into, into uh, unhealthy motives even when we are not religious leaders leading in that way. I, I think we can be very Christmas list-ish in our prayers. Do you know what I mean by that, right? So, so prayer simply begins with what can God do for me today, right? Now, the, we get to pray for our needs, that's true, but that's not where we begin that's not the heart of prayer. I think sometimes we can pray in such a way that tests God, right? Have you ever prayed in that way, right? Or, or try and prove God to myself. See, prayer does not work. I did that. I don't think that honors God in that way. There's one instance that he tells, me to tells us to test him, right? But most of the time, we're not supposed to test him. But what Jesus is saying is, as you pray, start inward and look at your motives. Look at the why you begin to pray. Um, it echoes a lot of what James says. James 4 says this. You do not have because you do not ask God. One of the issues that we have in our lives is we simply don't pray. Maybe there was a time in our lives that our, our, our prayer life was, was stronger and better and we've, we, we've floated away from that. Wouldn't it be great if 2019 we, we re-upped and said, Lord, again, teach me how to pray. I, I want to have a vibrant prayer life. James says, you do not have because you do not ask God. That's the lack of prayer. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with 
Wrong motives. Yes, motives matter to God. That you may spend what you get on your pleasure. That what Jesus is pressing into, what he's saying is he's wanting us to look at the heart and what I would say the center of prayer is. The beginning place. Remember, we're talking about 101 prayer. And he's saying the heart of prayer is a connection with the Father. The heart of prayer is not religious duty, but it's relationship. The heart of prayer is not first and foremost what God will do for you today, how God will rescue you. Those things can be part of our prayer, but the beginning place, the foundation, the center is very relational. He's saying... He's your father. He loves you. He already knows what you need. Right? Think about that for a moment. Right? This this isn't simply the heart and the center of prayer isn't need-based because he's got you covered. Right? He still wants you to pray those needs. Why? Because that's part of the relationship he's seeking to invite you into. He's saying prayer is not for the benefits primarily. See, the religious leaders were all about the benefits that they were getting in their culture, in their relationships with the people around them. And he says, miss, miss. The, the, the benefits of prayer, first and foremost, is here, not here. And it's a miss if all you do is pray here and looking for the benefits of prayer here and you're missing here. The second miss that he talks about is we can not only pray with the wrong motives, but we can pray in the wrong ways. And then he talks about non-believing Pagans is the term that's used in there. He's saying they pray in such a way because they believe that if they're loud enough, if they're consistent enough, if they repeat enough, if they have just the right formula, they'll get the gods or the other god to do what they want. And he said, no. no. Don't you know that, that your prayer should be based on who it is you're praying to? And he's not hard of hearing. You don't have to wake him up because he's not sleeping. He doesn't sleep, right? That how you pray should be predicated on who it is you're praying to. I love this verse in Ecclesiastes, but it's on prayer. Ecclesiastes 5.2. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. In other words, the way you pray should reflect your belief in a sovereign and providential God and Father who knows you and loves you. Sometimes I hear even Christian leaders and they're recommending 
kind of a formulaic prayer that God, there are spiritual laws and if you claim the exact promise, it is a law God has to answer in this way. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe in praying the promises of God. I believe in spiritual laws that govern the spiritual realities of our lives. I do. But I also am firmly convicted that he is God and I am not. And I don't get to demand God, you said this, you pray. No. That's praying in such a way that is separate from a relational emphasis. I want to talk about the promises that, that the Father has made. I was talking to him this morning about the promises I believe that he said to me. Not in a demanding way, not in such a way that's saying, God, you said. I'm saying, Father, I, I'm praying, I'm pressing in. I'm, yes, come, come. I think that's the, the way that honors the Father is where we're pressing and we're saying, you've said this and I, I'm believing, I'm, I'm, I'm trusting in you. When there's circumstances that are happening that seem like should not be happening if you have a father who loves you in heaven. That's the moment when I say, Father, help. I, I'm gonna trust you in this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep pressing in. I'm gonna keep laying that before you. Motive matters, ways matter. Just think about for this new year, what are the ways and with what motives would the Father invite you to press in in this new year? What would be a rhythm that he would have you pray? Not, the, not a kind of a Christmas list, but, but first and foremost, the heart. How would he have you press in that you would be able to say, in January 2020, you'd be able to look back and go, boy, he really discipled me in rhythms of prayer and worship. What would that look like? I think Jesus would have a suggestion for that. Again, you can call it 101, and some of you who have been part of our church for a while You've heard me speak on to this. You're going to think I'm a little bit of a Johnny One Note, okay? But it's praying the Lord's Prayer in outline form, all right? In fact, I have a New Year's gift for you. It's in your bulletin. It's blue. Would you take it out and hold it up? That is my New Year's gift to you. Here it is, okay? And there is, now, you may think I'm a, a little bit of a Johnny One Note, but let me defend myself by saying this. You heard the uh, story that a, a very small church in the Midwest, they had lost their pastor, and they had a retired pastor in their congregation. And they asked the retired pastor if um, he would be willing to provide uh, messages, pulpit supply, for while they searched for a new pastor. 
The retired pastor said, okay, well, I'd be more than happy to do that. Uh, If you guys want me to, I'll do that. So he stood up and he preached. And even though he's very elderly and retired, he preached this incredible, beautiful prayer on how the Father loves us so we should love one another. The, The congregation was like, wow, we didn't know he had it. Second Sunday, rolls around, the the pastor stands up and he preaches this beautiful prayer, uh, this beautiful sermon, but it was the same one he preached the first time. And the congregation was like, oh, this might be an issue. He, I mean, it was the same illustrations, the same points. They're like, well, let's just, well, let's not say anything. Hopefully, he'll move on to that next. Third week, the retired pastor stands up, and he preaches this incredible, beautiful prayer uh, sermon. Same exact sermon of how God has loved us, love one another. The elders decided we have to do something. We have to talk to him. That This is probably why he's retired. So they, they volunteer an elder, the nicest one they had. <laughs> and he goes, Pastor, boy, I've just really loved your sermon the last couple of weeks, but you've preached the same one. And the retired pastor goes, I know. He said, Pastor, you, you, you can't keep preaching the same sermon. You, people are, they won't come back. They need to... No, you, you need to go on to some other subject. And he said, I, I understand. Well, I'll make you a deal. When the congrega- congregation starts living that message, then I'll go on to a new one. It's the Lord's Prayer. He said, pray like this. He wasn't using hyperbole. This isn't a parable, <laughs> right? He's not the, we're not going, huh, I wonder what the 101 of prayer is. No, he does it several times, right? He says, preach like this. So let's unpack this, okay? Let's just walk through through this in a way. And I believe wholeheartedly that he wants to transform your prayer life via the 101 of prayer because he's transformed my prayer life through this. Right? That's why I can't shut up about it. It's because I'm actually growing in my prayer life. I'll be honest with you. I don't believe that prayer is one of my top three gifts. It's not, right? It, it would be Veda's, one of top, Veda's top gifts, right? Prayer is not one of my top gifts, right? I, I struggle with a consistent prayer life, just like you all, right? And yet he's used this timeless prayer to form and shape my understanding of who he is, my understanding of who I am and how I live into the world. He's used it to create a sacred rhythm 
that has transformed my life. So let's just walk through a little bit now. What conver- outline form is, is it's kind of, it's like a conversation piece. One line is that conversation piece. And we'll do this as elders. We'll do this as a staff team that will pray. You can do this with a friend driving in the car. Kendra and I have done it in the past where we're, we're driving in a car and we're praying under the subject of each line. I try and do it every morning, okay? So tomorrow morning, you can set your alarm a little bit. It can, you can do this in actually f- maybe three minutes. It can go as long as a half hour. You set that alarm a little bit early and you get up and you pray that first prayer. It's a prayer of adoration. Say it with me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That is a beautiful prayer of adoration that is looking at that he is God, we are not, he is in heaven, and we are on earth. He knows all things, we do not, and yet, incredibly, he's not just in heaven, but he is our father, Abba Father. I'm telling you, it's the most beautiful way to start your day by loving on the Father. It's a prayer of adoration. So I say, Father, I praise you that you're good, that you're kind, that you love me. I like to pray, including each person of the Trinity. That's just my way. You don't have to. This is my way. But I love to acknowledge Jesus, thank you so much for dying on the cross. Thank you that you and you alone are the king of my life and the king of this world. Praise you, Holy Spirit, that you are the presence and the power of the living God in my life. Praise you, Holy Spirit, that you are love and your working love in my life. You get the idea? Say with me the next line of the Lord's Prayer. So it's our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy, on earth as it is in heaven. The best way to think about that is, what's here on earth that is not in heaven? Sin, pain, suffering, Cancer, right? All of those. Uh, Non-Christians, are they in heaven? No. We better pray for some non-Christians. So I, I pray, if there's a, if there's a, a family member, a, a church member, someone who's struggling with something, I'm praying, Father, there is no cancer in heaven. I pray for healing and restoration. I pray for my non-Christian friends and family and neighbors. I'm praying that the Lord would bring that. I spend a little bit of time praying in that way. Get the idea? All right. I also spend some time on his will. I have a thing. I like to live life my way and not his way. Does anyone have that thing like me? You're lying if you didn't. Right? So I pray for his will. 
not mine. Got it? Say the uh, third line with me. It's a prayer of provision. It's a very short prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Was he just talking about bread? He wasn't. Right? He, was, he was talking about every area of your life. You get to pray what you stand in need of. Yes, we get to pray for that, right? Yes, and that, and you can even, that can be a little bit Christmas list-ish, yeah? That's okay, as long you've, as you've begun with adoration and his will, right? So I pray for provision. I especially pray for my family, and church needs in that section there. Fourth prayer is a prayer of confession and forgiveness. I usually skip that because I usually don't need that. (laughs) Yeah, I just lied to you right there. Just lied to you right there to start off the... The good new year. No, super important. Now, look at verse 14 with me, how he ends this teaching. It says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Boy, that sentence is hard enough, but Jesus goes on. But if you do not forgive other their sins... Your father will. I don't even want to read that. Yikes. What do I think Jesus is talking about in the prayer of confession and forgiveness? That I I begin and I ask him, Lord, am I harboring any unforgiveness in my heart towards anyone? Am I harboring bitterness in my heart? towards anyone and if I am I forgive that person in the presence of the Lord right I wish it weren't true that I have to do that every day because so easily bitterness and unforgiveness can creep into my heart just being honest with you but I don't want to live that way. I don't want bitterness to be a rhythm in my life. I don't want unforgiveness to be something that I'm holding on to that affects every area of my life. No way. And once I I pray, some days, there's nothing there. Hallelujah. But some days, I have to pray. I'm just being honest with you. Boy, no, I forgave that person yesterday. But it's back in my soul. I had to pray that this past week. Right? And then, once I pray and forgive that person, then I pray, if, is there anything that's stuck in my soul, any sin that I'm struggling with? And ask and claim the blood of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for that sin. All right, the prayer of guidance. Pray that with me. Lead us not into temptation. That's the one that the Pope said we need to 
really correct our understanding on, and I believe that he's right. Just real briefly, you can understand temptation sometimes if I'm struggling with a sin, right? I get to pray, Lord, help in the struggle. I need your strength. I need your spirit. I need your power to break this rhythm of sin that I find myself in, right? Other times, temptation can be understood as a trial. And who knows that sometimes as part of our spiritual growth, he leads us into trial. Some of you might be in a trial right now, right? He sometimes allows those trials, and yet he allows us to say, Lord, would you take me out of this trial? Would you remove this trial? Would you help me learn what you're wanting me to learn so that I might get to the place of blessing and favor? That's the prayer of guidance and then um, the prayer of deliverance. Let's say both of those prayers together. Lead us not into temptation, but... Deliver us from the evil one. See, this one is crucial, especially because we have a tendency to forget that our battle is not flesh and blood. We have a tendency to forget that there is a spiritual reality that is around us that is pressing in. We tend to forget that we have an enemy of our soul who does not want us to grow in our faith, who does not want us to advance the kingdom in in co-working with the Lord, who does not want us to share our faith with our non-believing friends. He is at work. He does not want us to have a thriving marriage. He does not want us to, to have children that are growing in him. He is at work against us, and yet he's given us power and authority to stand against him. Is there a day that we don't need to pray that prayer? Is there a day that we don't need to pray every line of the Lord's prayer that we should skip? No. You see, as you pray, as you, and if you start your day this way, instead of starting to shape it and looking at your phone and what's on the news or turning on the television, what's on the news channel, you're beginning with him. He's going to begin to transform the way you understand God, yourself, and this world. He will teach you more about who he is as you pray prayers of adoration. He will teach you more about his kingdom as you pray your kingdom come. If you want to know his will as opposed to your will, he will teach you what his will is as you begin and pray his kingdom and pray his will. He will remove all the junk from your life if you're praying that prayer of confession and forgiveness. You understand that as you build this rhythm into your life, every day he will transform you more and more to look like Jesus. And then the the closing, would you say that with me? For yours is the, the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's a beautiful statement of humility. It's reminding ourselves that this is God's deal, not our deal. 
This is about, my life is about him and me glorifying him. It's not about my kingdom. It's not by my power. It's about his. All right. Who would like me to preach the same exact sermon next week? I would love for you to email me, text me. Eric, I'm doing it. I'm taking the challenge. I'm going to do this. Even if it's just, even if it's five minutes, that would be great. Usually it's a little bit longer, right? But take the challenge. Email me, text me, call, leave a message on the phone. Let me know that you're going to join with me in this in 2019. And then I'll decide if I preach the prayer again. No, no, no. Um, uh, you understand. All right, we're going to go into communion. I wanted to say just a few things about the rhythm of worship. Just wanted to touch on this real briefly. In the rhythm of worship, I, I, in our little bit, a few minutes that I have, I just want to say I think that we have some worship misses, just like we have prayer misses. We have church service misses. I think the first miss is that worship is more of a to-do list item rather than a relationship item. Just like prayer, it's not meant to be a ritual. It's meant to be a rhythm, but not like a to-do list, right? Um, It shouldn't be like, well, it's good for me to take my vitamins each day, so I'll take my vitamins. Done, check. It's good for me to go to the gym and work out. Done, check. Vitamins, exercise, all good things. But it's the attitude. It's the attitude of worship service. It's the attitude of church that makes a difference. Paul said this about the spirit. He said, the spirit you received, if you're a Christian, you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives inside of you. That's what it means to be a Christian. The spirit you received does not make you a slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received uh, received brought about your adoption to sonship or daughterhood. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That's Aramaic for dad or daddy. You've been given a spirit that doesn't help you live ritualistically into rules and this and that. No, you've been given a spirit that brings daughterhood or sonship, intimacy and relationship. And so what you do in the faith, whether it's prayer, whether it's worship, it's about connecting with the Father. It's a rhythm of abiding in the Father. You understand? It's not the to-do list. Right? We, We live in that, not because we should, And we walk away and we check our box. It's because we get to be with dad and the other kids. That's the attitude of worship and church. I think our culture has gone the other direction. It's just a little bit more of a 
a check the box. I want to encourage you in 2019, would you move from a ritual mindset to a relationship mindset? I get to be with dad and to worship with other sons and daughters adopted. Here's the second worship miss, I would say, is that worship has become, church has become very me-centered or you-centered and not gospel center. That, that we attend church with the perspective of what is in it for me, rather than saying, there's a, there's a dynamic that the Lord is doing that, that he wants to, let me try and put it this way. When we were on, I was taking a sabbatical um, this was a couple of summers ago, and Kendra and I went to different churches. One of the churches we went to was an Eastern Orthodox church. I've mentioned it a couple of times. It, it was very different. It, it was hard to get in it. Uh, Kendra was the only one that was not wearing a head covering. and her, uh, We had shoes on, and there was awkwardness. Um, but I loved the service because of the theology behind the service. The theology behind the service was that during the worship service of the Eastern Orthodox Church, it's a place uniquely where heaven touches earth, unlike any other place. And you know what? I think that's the best theology of worship I've ever heard. It's that in this moment, it's actually not just about the sermon or about the songs, but it's this collection of where in this beautiful, mysterious way, unlike you could do when you're by yourself. Can you connect with God? Can you experience heaven by yourself? Of course you can. But there's this corporate element where, where the dwelling place of God happens right in our midst. Listen to what Paul says. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another, teaching is a part of it, absolutely, with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. It's all of that makes a difference. Communion, right? All of these aspects makes a difference. It's the, the, the reality of Christ dwelling among us richly. Boy, can you imagine if you, if you changed a perspective of worship in 2019 from a me-centered to a gospel-centered to a Christ's presence-centered. Would that transform our lives? I think it would. I think it would. Let's pray. Jesus, how incredible that 2,000 years ago you lived life, the good life, the abundant life, the kingdom life. You lived life in your Father's kingdom as a model for us. 
Lord, help us to live life like you did, not simply reflecting one aspect, but all of these aspects. Lord, I want to give you our, our minds and our hearts. We want to be a people of prayer, but not with wrong motives and not wrong ways. We want to be a, a people of worship, not a ritualistic way, but a relational way. Lord, we give you 2019. We ask that this would be a year of your spirit, a year of your presence, a year of your power. Lord, thank you that you've met us in beautiful ways in the prayer vigil, in the worship message. Would you meet us now in this beautiful way in communion? I'd like to invite the elders forward. There's a station for each section at the appropriate time. Would you come and take the symbol? Would you hold on to it and bring it back with you to your seats? Sometimes we like to take communion all together as a sign of a corporate expression of worship. It was the night that Jesus was betrayed that he took the bread after he blessed it. He broke it. And he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in a similar way, after dinner, he took the cup and he talked of a new covenant. He said, this is a new covenant, a new relationship that we have, this relationship of intimacy and abiding in the Lord. He said, take this cup. Do this in remembrance of me. And as we do that, we not only experience his presence in a mysterious way, but we proclaim that someday he will return. It could be 2019 that he will return. And we proclaim it, proclaim it until he returns. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then you have the spirit of God in you. All is ready. Would you come and take?